Mark 9:14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the floor and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Good morning. Welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in the West Service, over in the East Service, or watching online. Thanks for being with us. We are at the end of a four-week series we've been calling Conversations with Jesus, looking at four different conversations that different people had with Jesus. We're doing this for two particular reasons. I just want to remind you of those reasons before we get started today. The the first is, is that if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, uh, we want you to have examples of how Jesus might talk to you if he were to talk to you. That in each one of these stories, he is engaging people who are outside of uh, the religious followers of, of Jesus. He is sharing with them who he is and why he's here. And we want you to, to see yourself in one or more than one of these stories in order that you might hear and see Jesus's love for you. If you're here and you're a Christian, we want you to see, you and I to see, that to follow Jesus, to develop the heart of Jesus, is to have a heart for people outside of the faith. That one of the reasons we're looking at four encounters Jesus had with people who were not his followers is to remind us that that is what we ought to be doing as followers of Jesus. That like him, we should have a heart for those who are not in relationship with God. We're hoping to catch something of that um, this series. It's in particular, as we head into the summer. You know, masks are coming off and the weather is getting warmer. You're going to be around people. And we're praying for a summer of great spiritual conversations. And if that freaks you out a little bit, 
that's okay. That's probably a good place to be. And we were prepared for that, which is why uh, in the beginning of June, we are offering our class Sharing Jesus. If you really want to be able to talk to people about Jesus, but you don't know how, you don't know how to get the conversation going, you're worried that if you got it going, you wouldn't know how to keep it going, uh, this class is for you. We already have 105 people signed up to be part of this in June. So I want to encourage you to come check that out. You can sign up online or visit the Next Steps area or scan the QR code in the back of the pews here in West Service or the back of East Hall over there in East Service. Would love to see you at that. I'm very excited for that class. But I'm also excited for this week's message. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. I really love this passage. I hope that's going to come through as uh, we talk about it. And, and because I love it and because I want you to love it, I'm, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and I'm going to lead with the big idea. So rather than kind of let you discover it later, I just want to get out there what I'm aiming at in this message and then give you the outline I'm going to use to unpack that. So here's the big idea today, and that is simply this. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is actually self-sufficiency. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is actually self-sufficiency. So if you're a note taker, I'd love for you to write that at the top of your page. If you're not, just kind of have that in your head. And then here's the outline I'm going to use to unpack that. Three very simple points. I want to talk about where faith begins, how faith works, and why faith is needed. Okay, where faith begins, how faith works, and why faith is needed. Let's start with the first one, where faith begins. One of the reasons I love this story is because I really like this father. I love his passion and dedication to his son. He, he loves his son and he is desperate for his son to get some help. And the Bible tells us that his son is dealing with uh, an illness and that that illness is, has been caused by a demon. Now, I, I want to just stop for a second and footnote, because I know it's 2021, and we, we kind of raise our eyebrows at the idea that, that this kid's problem is a demon. You know, you, you probably aren't used to this. You don't go to the doctor thinking you have a cold, and then your doctor says to you, actually, it's a demon, right? That would be weird, and if your doctor says that, I don't know, you should probably get a new doctor, okay? So if you're uncomfortable with that, let me unpack that a little bit for you. Listen, the Bible is clear that there is physical illness, okay? That people can be physically, biologically sick. Just no other reason, just biology. The Bible is also clear that other people can struggle with mental health, that there's no, nothing else, just brain chemistry and things going on in their physiological uh, reality that cause them to be mentally ill. The Bible has characters who struggle with physical illness. The Bible has characters who struggle with mental illness. The Bible also has a category for there being a spiritual reality in which evil forces are at work. So it would be incorrect biblically to say that Everything is simply physical or mental illness. There is no spiritual reality. It would be equally biblically incorrect to say that behind every physical illness or mental illness is a demon. Either one of those is a misunderstanding. The Bible has categories for all three, 
And in different situations, different ones apply. So here we know that it is a demon because that's how Jesus interacts with it. Okay? Because I know it's tempting to say, well, back it was probably just something physical or something mental. And, you know, this, this prehistoric society was saying, oh, it's, it's a demon. But Jesus actually affirms that it's a demon in this case. Okay. Footnote aside. So I love this dad. I love that he's so desperate when he engages the disciples and, 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 and he tries to get them to help him out. Because after all, if you've read Mark 9, you know, Jesus has just gone up the mountain in the transfiguration. So Jesus and his top three disciples are actually not with the other nine. So when the dad gets there, there's no Jesus. So he goes to the other nine disciples and he, he tries to get them to help him. And when they can't do it, an argument breaks out. Now, we're not told what the argument was about, and let me just use my imagination a little bit. This guy is so tenacious, I kind of wonder if the argument was he wouldn't leave. If you're the disciples, you want him to leave because you don't want him to be there when Jesus gets back, and you have to hang your head and say, we couldn't fix this. So you're saying, look, buddy, we can't help you. It's too big. We don't know. You should go. And he's saying, no. And when Jesus gets there and Jesus goes, what is all this arguing? The guy goes, look, it's my fault. I need help. Can you help me? Will you help me if you are able? He even tells Jesus that his son has had this demon from childhood. So we don't know how old the son is, but we do know this struggle has been happening for a while. This dad, you just know implicitly, has exhausted every possible solution for his son. He has seen every expert, every religious leader. He has gone down every avenue, exhausted every resource. He will not stop until he finds something for his son. He is desperate because he knows his son needs to be helped and he knows he can't help him. And so he comes to Jesus saying, what I can't do for my son, can you do it? And listen, this father is letting us in on something. That the beginning of faith is always when we come to the end of ourselves. Always. This guy goes running to Jesus when nothing else can help him. He goes looking for Jesus when he's exhausted all other possibilities. Because as long as we face only problems that we can handle ourselves, faith will be irrelevant for us. We will live on autopilot. God will slip from our consciousness, slip off our radar. It is when we find ourselves in desperate circumstances that we find ourselves looking for God. I see this all the time as a pastor. People ask who are struggling will ask to meet with a pastor, which you should do, by the way. We exist to serve you. We love to serve you. But oftentimes when I sit down with that person or, or family who's in a difficult circumstance, they've got a diagnosis that's, that's terrible. They, their marriage is crumbling. Their, their child is wayward. And they sit down and the, almost the first thing they say, if they're bold enough, without fail, is why would God let this happen? Where is God in the midst of this happening? But as I get to know them and I unpack their lives, what I often find is that no one was asking or thinking about God before this happened. Because when life is easy, it's easy for us to be God. 
And when life is hard, we go looking for God. We often have to come to the end of ourselves in order to begin faith. Listen, I'm not immune from this. Without a doubt, the number one sin area of my entire life is self-sufficiency. Like a lot of you, I, I tend to think I can plan or strategize or, or have a solution for most of the problems that, in, that I encounter in my life. That for the most part, I have been successful in navigating life in a lot of ways. But when I look back over my life, and some of you have heard my story and my testimony and how God called me into ministry, there's a, a pattern that emerges that God never does anything really significant in my life until I have been completely and utterly broken down. It wasn't until I said to God, I have to stop dating because this is such an area of sin in my life and I'm hurting other people and I'm hurting myself that I met my wife. And God gave me the faith to believe it could be different. It wasn't until I was working as a youth pastor in central Illinois, as the world's worst youth pastor, I might add. They knew it, and even worse, I knew it. It wasn't until I was saying to God, what, what can I do? I'm miserable. I hate my life. I have made a mess of this that God called me to church planting. And it wasn't until six or seven months ago when, through some difficulty with my extended family, and I said to God, I cannot solve these problems. I can't even solve what's going on in my head and in my heart that God gave me the faith to go to counseling. Every time God does something big in my life, he has to break me down first. Why? Well, because self-sufficiency is the opposite of faith. As long as I believe I'm enough, I'll never go looking for God. I wonder if that's true for you. I wonder if you would say that when life is good, when life is steady, when life is normal, that, that, that you, it can be easy for a day without God to become a week without God, to become a month without God, to become a life without God because we don't need him. And if that's true, hear me when I say this. But if right now difficult circumstances are driving you away from God, or maybe even difficult circumstances are what brought you here, then it could be that if self-sufficiency is the opposite of faith, that the most loving thing that God could do would be to allow enough difficulty in your life for you to awaken to your need for him. Because the opposite of faith is self-sufficiency. It isn't until this father gets desperate that he comes pushing through, arguing through, grabbing hold of Jesus and saying, I can't fix this. I can't do this. I can't solve this. Will you help me? Faith always begins when we come to the end of ourselves. That leads me to my second point, which is to say, how then does faith work? How does faith work? The best part of this passage, I think, and my, one of the reasons it's my, one of my favorites, is when the guy gets to Jesus, the dad gets to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, uh, Will you, you, you can help us if you can. If, big word, right? If you can. He's saying, I'm not sure that you can. I would like for you to, but I'm not sure that you can. Jesus, by the way, doesn't miss the if. He says, if. If I can, and then he turns it back on the guy and he goes, all things are possible if you believe. And then the guy says this, most amazing, one of the most amazing things. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I believe, but I have doubts. I believe, but I have 
questions. I believe, but I have concerns. He's being honest because he's not sure if it's the purity of his faith that will, that will bring about the healing of his son. And so he's just being honest and saying, I believe, but I, I kind of don't believe. And I love his honesty because after all, his son has had this demon for a long time. How many times has he asked God to fix this problem? And how many times has he not gotten an answer? How many experts has he seen? How many religious leaders has he seen? Didn't he just come from Jesus' disciples who were not able to do it? So whatever faith he showed up with, it's leaking. He says, I believe, but I got to be honest. I, I also have doubts. And in that moment, what the writer of, the, of, of Mark is inviting us to do is to lean in and to ask, how much faith do you have to have? And what kind of faith do you have to have in order for God to help you? You, know, you turn on the TV late at night, there'll be a preacher on there, so-called, offering that if you will send a gift, air quotes, gift, they will pray for you and you will receive healing for whatever sickness besets you. And if you send in your gift and if you do not get your healing, they will say what? You didn't believe enough. You didn't have enough faith. Your lack of faith got in the way of your healing. And yet here is a man standing in front of Jesus saying, I believe, but also I don't. And the question is, is Jesus one of those late night preachers whose ability is limited by your faith or is he something different? And when you lean in, what do you see? He heals the boy because faith doesn't work based on the quality or purity of your faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the byproduct of trying to believe. I need you to understand this. Young people, please hear me when I say this. Because I think young people walk away from the church all the time because their understanding is, if I have any questions or any concerns or any doubts, that must mean I don't believe. Absolutely false. Because when this guy comes to Jesus and says, I believe, help me with my unbelief, Jesus doesn't say, I'll tell you what, buddy, you go home. Read an apologetics book and come back. And when you believe all the way, then we can talk. He doesn't do that. In fact, the Bible is full of characters who believe and also struggle, who believe and also doubt, who believe and also have questions. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Because even though this man stands before Jesus saying, I believe, but also if I'm honest, Jesus, I don't believe. I cannot imagine him saying that in front of his son. Can you? I almost visualize, I, I have children, I, I, a lot of them, as you know, like a clan of them, right? I lost track at five. I think we have five. You, I cannot imagine looking at my son in tears in my eyes saying to him, I'm sorry, buddy, I believe, but I don't know if I believe enough. I don't know how scared I would be that Jesus would look at me and say, well, he can't be helped because you have doubts, because you have questions. How devastated when I got home and my wife said, what happened? And I said, I didn't believe enough. 
This man comes to Jesus with doubts and questions and concerns and vulnerabilities. And I love him for that. But you know what he doesn't come to Jesus with? Any self-sufficiency. Because after all, what does he say? I believe. Help me with my unbelief. In other words, what I hear this man saying is, my son has scars and so do I. Because you know how many nights I prayed, God, do you see me? Do you love me? Do you care about me? Do you care about my son? If you're out there, why won't you help me? And you know how many nights I didn't get an answer and how it was much harder to pray the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. So no, I no longer have the capacity for perfect faith. I believe, but I have scars. I believe, but I have experiences. I believe, but I have questions. I believe, but I have doubts. But can you help me with that? And Jesus says to him, yes. Because how faith works, it is, it is not about the purity or quality of your faith. It is about the one in whom you are placing faith. This man is saying, my only hope, Jesus, is you. And Jesus is saying, well, you have found the right guy to put your hope in. Listen, you need to hear me say this. The enemy of faith is not doubt. It's not fear. It's not questions. It's not concerns. Here's why. The gospel is true. You can ask all the questions you want. You can have all the concerns you want. It can hold up to your concerns. It can hold up to your questions, to your criticisms, to what you wonder. It, 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 God is not blinking at that. He's not afraid of that. But as long as you think you can help yourself, you will never reach out to God for help. That's why I'm telling you, the biggest enemy to your faith is not your questions. It's your air conditioning. And I don't mean that for the cheap spouse who won't let you turn it on. I mean, it's comfort. The more comfortable we are, we will blink and our lives will go by and we will never have needed God. But when we find ourselves facing circumstances, saying to God, I need help. I believe, but also I don't. I believe, but I have questions. I believe, but I have doubts. But I know I can't help myself. I'm convinced of that. Will you help me? Jesus shows us here the answer will always be yes. Because in that moment, what we're saying to Jesus is two things. Can you help me? And will you help me? Can you help me? And will you help me? That's why it's so important that you recognize the passage right before this is the transfiguration. Do you know that passage? Jesus goes up the mountain with his kind of top three disciples. And when they get up there, Moses appears and glows. Elijah appears and glows. These are kind of the two most prominent Old Testament figures for prophets. And Jesus begins to glow. And then Moses disappears and Elijah disappears. And only Jesus is there. And God says about Jesus, this is my son. Listen to him. You see, what God is saying is Jesus is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. 
There is nothing we could ask from him that he cannot do. There is no problem that he couldn't solve. There is no scenario in which we would be asking from him something he could not give us. He can help us. The father says, can you fix this? And Jesus is saying, yes, I can. I'm the son of God. Everyone must obey my voice, including even the demons. But the second question is, will you help me? It's one thing to have the power. You know, it'd be like me facing crippling financial debt and deciding to write a letter to Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, and saying, hey, Jeff, facing a little bit of financial difficulty here. Last I heard, you have a couple hundred billion dollars. This is nothing for you. Appreciate you looking out for me. Sincerely yours, Zach. Well, if that letter ever made its way to Jeff Bezos, he would be able to help me. But because we don't know each other, my my guess is he would not be inclined to help me. So it's not just a question of Jesus' ability. It's a question of his desire. And yet that's exactly why Jesus came. That's why he came to live a sinless life in our place. It's why he goes to the cross to die sacrificially in our place. It's why he raises from the dead triumphantly and says to us, if you ever doubt God's ability, don't. He can raise the dead. If you ever doubt doubt God's desire to help you, don't. I came to live in your place and die in your place because that's how much you matter to God. This is how faith works. Not that it is 100% free of doubts or questions or concerns, but rather it is born out of the heart saying, here's one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I cannot help me myself. Jesus, can you help me? Will you help me? And here we're told the answer for everyone who asks will be yes. That leads me to my third point, which is to say, why is faith needed? Why is faith needed? Listen, the answer to that has to do with what you want out of life. If this father is seeking only to care for his son, he can take him home, he can strap him to a chair, he can hire someone to watch him, make sure he doesn't throw himself in the fire, make sure he doesn't throw himself in the water. He can try to give his son the best life that he can. If what he wants is healing for his son, Well, he's going to need faith because that's more than he could ever dream possible. Listen, hear me when I say this. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, if all you want out of life is to get married and raise children and save enough money to retire, buy a home in Florida and be there until you die, you don't need faith for that kind of life. You can do that entirely on your own. That's a good life. If what you want is to know that when you stand before God after that life, that God would look at you and accept you, that he would overlook your flaws and mistakes and sin in order to love you and embrace you and to bring you into the kingdom that he is building, if that's what you want, well, you're going to need faith for that because you cannot do that. That's why Jesus has come. So that you might know, that you might believe that he can and will help you. 
so that he might say to God, I have lived in this person's place and died in this person's place and I've risen from the dead because God, the Father, you accept what I've done, now accept it on their behalf. Because you can get yourself the home in Florida if you work hard and you save hard, but you cannot save your soul. Only Jesus can. But he will. Even in your doubts, even with your questions, even with your concerns. But there's another thing I want you to notice here, and that is brothers and sisters in Christ This is also a question for us. What kind of life do we want to live? Look at verse 29. When this is over, Jesus gets into a house and the disciples pull him aside and they say, Jesus, Jesus, how how come we couldn't deal with this? Because earlier they had cast out demons. They're saying, hey, we, we, we could handle that. How come we couldn't handle this? And Jesus tells them the reason was their self sufficiency. He says, this kind can only come out through prayer. He said, boys, you had to ask. This problem was too big for you. This need was too big for you. You couldn't do it in your own strength. You needed me. Listen at this church. We don't apologize for having really big dreams, really big goals, really big vision. We want so desperately not to live a good life, but to to live a great life. Not to see God move a little, but to see him move in a big, massive, world-shaping, region-altering way. If we want to be a good church, we can probably come up with strategies to do that. If we want to be a great one, it will only happen through prayer. It will only happen by saying, even as a church... Our faith has to begin where our self-sufficiency ends. God, if thousands are going to come to Christ, if we're going to plant 60 churches, if we're going to give generously to the cause of global missions, it will only be because you have done something great. That kind of dream only comes through prayer. It only comes through saying, God, can you help us? Will you help us? By the way, as you head into the summer, the same is true for that family member, that friend, that neighbor that colleague that you want to share Christ with, that child you want to come out of their rebellion, that person you want to reconcile with. Listen, stop strategizing and start praying. God, you can do more than I can do. Would you do it? The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self-sufficiency. To see God move We're going to have to lay that down. Let me pray for us. Father God, I love your heart in this passage. It's one thing for an earthly dad to be desperate, to push through the crowds, to want healing for his son. It's a whole other thing, God, for you to look upon a sinful dad and to say to him, I can help you. I will help you. Thank you so much for Jesus, the evidence of your ability and your desire to help us. Thank you so much that faith is not about the quality or purity of our belief, our lack of questions, our lack of doubts, but about your ability to be what we need you to be. Holy Spirit, work that into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.